We're turning in our scriptures tonight to the second letter that Peter wrote to his Christian friends, 2 Peter chapter 3. I think it's in pay, on page 1896 in the, your pew Bibles, if you're following along. 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. This is a passage I've thought about it a lot, and I keep coming back to it. And we'll hear what Peter has penned for his friends and for our edification this evening. The word of the Lord tells us in 2 Peter 3, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate to you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By that same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slow, slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. The Apostle Peter, when he wrote this letter, he probably already sensed that he was approaching the end of his life. I think he had some, some, some suspicions that persecution was ahead. He would probably be martyred. And his life would be taken from him for faithfully following the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was concerned in this letter to mention, and he mentioned the purpose actually. He said, I want to leave with you uh, words that will serve as guidance. I want you to know what is something you can count on for sure. 
in your path, and it is biblical wisdom for you to hear and heed and follow them. And Peter has been doing that in a couple of chapters that lead up to this, chapter 3. Uh, he says, for example, first of all, uh, you can be sure of the glory of Christ. He said this because he remembered his own experience of seeing God's glory, Christ's glory face to face on the mountain of transfiguration when he was there with James and John. What a tremendously impactful moment that was for him. You can be sure, says Peter, you can be sure of Christ's glory. I saw it with my own eyes on the mount of transfiguration. Another thing you can be sure of, says Peter, you can be sure of the scriptures. That, my beloved believers and friends, says Peter, that is the key. It's authoritative and the inspired message from God, not by the whims of men, but inspired by the very Spirit of God. You can be sure of the Scriptures. Then he goes on and says, you can also, uh, in the chapter just previous to this one, you can be sure that false prophets and teachers will arise. And they will trouble God's people in their false teaching. Many will follow their shameful ways and bring the way of truth into disrepute. And so he has a number of these key insights for holy living. And then we come to this third chapter in which in our Bibles, most of them are uh, bearing the title, The Day of the Lord. And much of that is what we find in chapter 3 the day of the Lord. And he means by that, of course, the final day of the world's existence in terms of our present scheme of things when Christ returns. Uh, we know that he's getting to the wrap-up of his letter in this third chapter. And besides just the warnings and the pointing to what is sure and we can count on, he said, I want to also in this teaching stimulate you to wholesome thinking. It's thinking. That's been my purpose all along, that you may have uh, your mind flooded with wholesome thinking from what these reminders are that I'm giving you. And that carries over also into this matter of the Lord's day coming and all the uh, events that are depicted. Sometimes that's the last thing you think of uh, associating with a wholesome thinking. When the day of the, the final day of the end of the world has come, it's when all kinds of uh, far out uh, speculations and all kinds of things are in, uh, involved in uh, reflecting on that reality that is coming. But Peter says this, along with everything else, is meant for you in terms of wholesome thinking. And when he uh, starts working at this theme, I actually want to say that although we read the 13 verses, I'm concentrating this evening more on verses uh, 3 through 7. The more I got into it, the more there was, and I said, no, it can't be all, <laughs> it can't be all for tonight. Uh, I don't know if there's a part 2 or not, but um, mainly verses 3 for, through 7. And in that area, in that section, uh, Peter starts by saying that uh, he has heard a voice, and it's, he knows that voice is going to be in the future, and it's a scoffing voice. It's somebody from outside the Christian community who has heard a bit of the Christian message, and these Christians are always talking about, it's coming, it's coming, the day of the Lord is coming. And the scoffer says, you know, show me. 
You Christians talk about that. You say that the sun is going to be darkened, the whole planet is going to be uh, busted up to smithereens. Where is it, says the scoffer? I don't see it. It's been the way it has been for so long. I don't know that you Christians really know what you're talking about when this great coming and the end of the world is what you're preaching. So Peter has an answer uh, to that claim. His answer may not strike us at first as terribly uh, direct in its answer to the scoffer. And the first part of Peter's answer is to refer to the flood long ago. And Peter is saying, with that reference to the flood, actually, there has been something that pretty much shook up the whole present scheme of this world, and that is the flood. Under God's judgment, the world has suffered at least one time a major shakeup, and that is evidence of it being able to happen again. That flood was something that was never before quite as destructive, never since as destructive, and the world found itself underwater, its habitat for animals and humans destroyed. But then, actually, even before that, and more important than that, he's referring to something else. He's referring to what the focus is of these verses, and that is that all-powerful word by which God made all that is. All that is in heaven and earth was brought into existence by him simply speaking it forth. He spoke and it existed. The word that came from his mouth gave existence to what had been in his plan to recreate. And Peter said, this, Mr. Scoffer, this is the background for everything that there is, for everything that exists, what has powered it into existence, it's God speaking it forth. Even your scoffing fits within this, as well as our Christian waiting for the fulfillment of every word that Christ has said. That also comes against the backdrop of what God first set forth by the very power of his speaking in the creation of the world. And that means what's here. And what you're saying counts as evidence that there's stability that's never going to be taken away and the world is always going to be the same. That stability is actually traced back to the permanence and the faithfulness of God, of his word, in relation to the world. It's not because things have been around here for a long time that things show a certain stability in the world. It's because God's word is holding it in place. And by the power of that same word, says Peter, it will one day be removed. It's coming apart. God, by his command, not only created life and everything in it, in the whole world, he made it to be inhabitable, he made dry land, he made what the world is now by his command, but why we're waiting and not scoffing, says Peter, is because we know that at any moment, God, by that same power by which he brought it into existence, can also declare, this is the end. This is my day now. This is the day of the Lord, long prophesied, the last day. God's word is, to use a phrase, a super precedent. 
God's words a super precedent for anything we can say about the world. And I'm going to explain that word, super precedent. Uh, there we go. I use the word super precedent, and that actually has a, a bit of a sound of a, a legal term. A precedent is often used in a legal setting. It refers, in a legal sense, to a constitutional decision which public institutions have relied on, supported over a significant period of time. And it's a, an example, of course, that we can think of most noteworthy in our knowledge is what the Supreme Court of the United States decided 50 years ago in legalizing abortion on a national scale. For 50 years, that was what in legal circles was known as a super precedent. precedent. It became unassailable. It became something that just stayed on. It seemed to be impossible to uh, overcome the power of the tradition that was being built up be as a result of that decision. It supposedly had to be enforced at all levels, and it went on and on for 50 years. And then recently, as you know, new justices uh, started looking at the Constitution again, and they discovered that those rights actually weren't in the Constitution. And then even that which was a super precedent for so many decades, untouchable, it disappeared. Of course, not before slaying many unborn. That super precedent I'm referring to as simply a man-made arrangement for something that's apparently lasts a long time, but God's word for creation is a superior precedent. It takes it takes precedent, it, it has much superior authority, and uh, it is unassailable, it is permanent, and no decision of humankind can overturn it. And that, says Peter, in responding to the scoffers, a tremendous stimulus to holy and wholesome thinking. To know that God's word in the world and the universe in which we live whose great dimensions we're discovering more and more, that the God's word is behind every bit of it that we can think about, the great dimensions of it, what it means, how we make decisions within that big, uh, that big uh, exciting world that he made, that that's all coming back and traced back to him is powerful. That's the answer uh, for what uh, for us today, what Peter is uh, highlighting here, God's word for the world has not failed, and it will never fail. And this question, of course, gives a sharp sharper edge to that because you may ask, well, okay, let's say that um, there was this, this great and powerful word that put everything into existence in the beginning. But now that sin has come, doesn't that uh, affect what uh, God's word means for this world? Sure, it was true of the origin of creation, but didn't the super powerful word of God get compromised when the rebellion of Adam and Eve took place and the, there was evil unleashed on earth? And the answer is that God's word for the world never fails. 
It will never fail. It cannot be taken back. To use a common expression today, God will never walk back what he said in his word. And saying, no, you know, it was, a, it was a, what I said, but now I'm taking it back. No, his word continues. He remains. It's permanent. Even Isaiah, back in his days as a prophet, Isaiah 40, says, the grass withers, the flower fades, and I think you know the rest. But the word of our God remains forever. That's solid. That's what we're celebrating. And the word of God in its face-off against sin, it abides and actually it further opens up the power and the wonder, the sovereignty of our God when all the opposition of Satan and his kingdom, all the opposition of a corrupt human heart, all of that just prompts God to press home his word more, to reassert his kingship through his word and his redemptive plan. Peter has said these things. He's wrapped up a lot of things in, in these few verses, probably more than we can get into this evening. But it's a remarkable, broad, uh, overarching picture of the authority, the power of God's word. And he said heavens and earth are wrapped, are, are reserved for fire on the day of judgment for the destruction of God upon ungodly man. And here... We have that as a reminder that God has this world. God has it by his word. He's got it coming and going. Nothing outside of what is either the origin or the final destination of this world is outside of his will, purpose, sovereignty, and even his command. He's got it. Nothing can take away that power from the grip of his hands especially in Jesus Christ, the King of kings and lords of lords. Peter mentions that the last day will come like a thief in the night. Of course, he means that it's unexpected. No thief publishes his plans for breaking into your house. He doesn't send you a little note ahead of time. It's the element of surprise that we're talking about. The last day, will, says Peter, will come like a thief in the night. And that might prompt us to ask ourselves, well, don't we know anything about what to expect when this day comes? And the answer is we should. By, by, by being faithful Bible readers from beginning to end, we should know a lot about what this great day involves because it was preached about the day of the Lord, even in the Old Testament prophets. And the testimony that we have about the great day of the Lord gives us an idea of what will be at stake in that great day. And when we understand that, we'll be comforted and encouraged by it because we know that that great day will be the fulfillment of his word. And that fulfillment takes the shape of the fulfillment of his promises that he has given to God's people throughout the centuries, the salvation that they were to look forward to, uh, rooted and and strengthened and established in Jesus Christ as a Savior, and culminated in his coming again in that last day. So his word is fulfilled as a promise for believers. It's also fulfilled as a verdict against those who fail to believe in him. And that was a consistent two-part message of the Old Testament prophets, the word of promise, the word of 
verdict. Prophets in their pro, they, they proclaim the day of the Lord, a day of God coming to set everything on a different standing. And not only was the prophet's message of old, which Peter refers to, a message by which we can confide and trust God's every word to be fulfilled in the promise of salvation and the verdict of judgment. But the prophets also consistently said that by, by reason of what we know can ha will happen in the fulfillment of God's word, you peoples of the earth, said the prophets, should not trust in what cannot survive that last day. The prophets of old, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, they, sometimes you'll find a section in their writings where they address their word to nations. They say, Egypt, listen. Edom, listen. Different surrounding nations. They had a message from them, uh, for them. Uh, people, for example, were told uh, in Egypt, you people of Egypt need to hear that you cannot trust in the River Nile to uh, have your civilization continue like it always has been. You can't build your life around that. God is going to undo all that when his great day comes. He said to the people of Lebanon, you cannot trust your natural resources, your great forests of cedars. He said to Tyre and Sidon, who lived along the seacoast, you can't trust in your trading agreements with everybody around the world. And to everyone, the prophet says, you can't trust in your armies. You can't trust in your own defense. It'll do you no good on the day of the Lord. And especially we know that message carries forth to us also in the New Testament. It's the book of Revelation that we hear those same kinds of messages. And in the symbolism and in the message that becomes very clear as well, and Peter refers to it, not only our own cultural achievements are completely devoid of confidence and trust that we can place in them, but also even the sun shining every day and the moon and the stars and all of the earthly, all of uh, the material order of the world will be done away with. The prophecy that Peter repeats here says the elements, the basic elements of the life that make the universe livable will be taken away as God comes in power with the same power of the word by which he created it in the first place. He will break it down. He will break it down not for its total destruction. I like to, more, to think of it more like God hitting the switch and it goes dead and it's rebooting. It's rebooting. And that's what the power of, of is God's word at his time, not according to our timetable. He's got the stopwatch about when that's going to happen. We aren't on the, on the playing field running the clock. He is. So we can see how firmly is grounded our hope for the new heavens and the new, new earth. It's grounded precisely in the fact that on, in every moment, from beginning to end, from Alpha to Omega, by the power of his word, he establishes, maintains his rule over all things. He's got this world coming and going, and that's a vital message for us today. When so many things seem to be claiming its own power 
its destructiveness. Uh, the fear that we're supposed to have of all that which defies God. But we're not to be moved by that. And the teaching that we're hearing this evening about God's relating himself to the whole of the world that he has made by way of his word is a uniquely rich and powerful way for our perspectives to be formed in every day of life. It means that it's not like what your deist friends would say, who say God is largely removed from this world. No, he's not. He's involved in his authority over it and in it through the word of command that he has, his creational word. And it's not what your pantheist friends would say, that God is kind of floating around in the same big fishbowl that we all are, and uh, most of what we see is kind of a, a bit of divinity to it, so he never stands above it to command it. He's in it. He's swimming in the same reality that we are. But to your deist friends and to your pantheist friends, we say and we confess that to acknowledge the word of God as a key for his relating himself to the world co covenantally, it threads the needle between those two, and it gives the one sure and the one unshakable standpoint from which to live, to make our decisions, and to receive and be assured of our salvation. Because here's what Peter said in his previous letter, 1 Peter 1, verse 23. He said, for you have been born again, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. The power of that word in Christ, no matter what your circumstances, is what rules our life. It's desperately urgent for those who do not have their lives in the grip of that word to be born again. Our text promises that for the benefit of those yet to repent, God is holding out the day of his decreed final day. He's holding out for their repentance. God's delaying his day, the day of his big reveal and of his glory. He's delaying it for those who need to repent. That's the situation that we find ourselves in. In our culture, people act as if they can follow their own lust, do whatever they want, and never face God's verdict for it. The only way to escape that verdict, which is sure to come, is to have your heart softened and believe and receive his promise. We're held in the grip of God's word, the urgency of the gospel which is coming through us to the world is like never before. And in all that, it's not our power, it's not the power of our persuasion, but the grip of his word that continues. And so, a final several questions, and the answers will be obvious. Are we held by the word, in a grip that connects us to the original creation that he spoke forth? And the answer is yes. 
That word did not go away even when sin entered the world. Are we held in a grip that connects us to the new creation? And the answer is yes. By the redeeming power, by the word of our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. Will we see elements of the verdict, the justice of God paid out on that judgment day? The answer is yes, we will. This is the case. It's not an empty threat. It rather is what gives new urgency. God himself wants that urgency to come through and how we address those who are not ready, who are not yet born again. Finally, leading up to that last day, Will opposition to the gospel in our day and age be able to take the power of that gospel away? And the answer is no. Not at all. It's a living and abiding and a powerful word. Wholesome thinking as Peter instructed, and he's asked his hearers to receive in his teaching, that wholesome thinking revolves around the fact that the world in its entirety is ruled by God's word. This is the true backdrop against all of our questions of the meanings of our lives, all the concerns we have, all the decisions that we make. That's the unassailable precedent within which we live and move and have our being. It's a superior precedent. It overrules. It takes precedence over and undercuts all else. This is what Jesus referred to also when he told his disciples that his own teachings were as a rock upon which you can build, not like the sand that the world is building upon and confiding that everything will go fine and hoping that it will go fine. But rather, his word is the rock. All this all-encompassing word that is the word of God that's holding for us. Maybe we, we be grounded very firmly in it. Let us be constant in prayer that we may always know ourselves to be in the grip of God's word and that we will have that word work freely in the very depths of our hearts and in everything we do. Let us respond with repentance when we try to slip away from the grip of that word. Let us be filled with his spirit for holy mission and witness. Let's pray together.